In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines. Welcome to the Gospel Life Podcast with pastors Rob Mayer and Kyle Rogers, connecting the transformational power of Christ Jesus and His Gospel to everyday life. Today's episode, Beginnings. Pastors Rob and Kyle, greetings. Good to see you, Jay. Yeah, good to be here. Should we do an old school, like, uh, share our kindred spirit with a holy kiss? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make me blush. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With today's theme on beginnings, uh, it seems fitting, obviously the first podcast, but my hope is we can discuss the beginning of life, the beginnings of faith, and the beginnings of fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. So let's begin with some introductions. And Rob, if I can have you introduce Kyle. Sounds good. So Kyle Rogers, great guy. Kyle, you and I have known each other for about... About 10 years. Going yeah. On. yeah, a little bit yeah, more than 10 years now. A little more than 10 yeah. years. Yep. Kyle is uh, married to Emily, has beautiful little Magnolia, hmm. and a new one on the way. That's right. Any day. Yep. Kyle leads our uh, ministry of... Communities, so gospel communities and uh, counseling and care, along with, uh, you know, participating on our preaching team and uh, also a fellow elder. So leading Gospel Life Church, man, it's good to, good to be serving with you, man. It's yeah. been, uh, it's been a, a good stretch here. Yeah, man. Love you. Yeah. Kyle, how yeah. about an introduction of Rob? Yeah, I feel like I'm calling you out to a full court press, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Mayer coming in at 5'11". Uh, ruggedly handsome, a beast in the CrossFit gym. Wow. But more so than that, a humble servant of Jesus. Uh, loves his family well, leads his, leads his family well, has loved me faithfully for the last 10 years. And uh, just a great brother, man, who is very different than I. Um, you and I are super different, uh, but I love that God's wired us differently for the sake of partnering in the kingdom. And uh, just thankful for your friendship. Um, Rob's been the lead pastor at Gospel Life for a little bit more than, uh, going on eight years. We're coming up on our eight-year anniversary, um, eight-year celebration. And uh, yeah, I've been the lead pastor, oversees all vision, all preaching. Uh, but more than that, he is the lead repenter at Gospel Life. Mm, and that has set the culture of our church in just a really beautiful way. So thankful for you. Anything else? Man, appreciate that. I actually <laughs> want to redo your introduction because that was quite uh, quite fancy. I really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been awesome serving with you, man. I really yeah. appreciate you. And you. Uh, yeah, the culture being set by just, I think our relationship yeah. has been a real gift of God's grace, not only for us, yeah. our elder team, our leadership team, our staff, but also Gospel Life Church. Yeah, for sure. So yep. amen to that. It's been fun, huh? It's been great. Air high five. It's been amazing. <laughs> Uh, my name is Jay Ward, one of the members of Gospel Life Church. Very honored and thankful to be here, guys. Truly, thank you. Hey, thank you, Jay, for having us. Easy topic. We'll start off with a softball. Creation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, where are we going with that, baby? Uh, it, it, it was once said that reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. What do you, and I'll ask you first, Rob, what do you, what do you see in this world, what have you felt in your heart and what have you received or read that has inspired uh, your beliefs and your understanding of creation or this reality? 
Boy, that's a great question. That's a big question. Um, you know, and you know, living where we live, we get to look at Mount Rainier. Uh, we get to experience the, the glory and grandeur that is Mount Rainier. That is just this place in which we live. But even even that, you know, being in the ocean or or just seeing the magnitude of creation itself just really sparks a real depth and understanding, a desire to understand how it all came to be. And I, I just think I just think living where we live, experiencing what we experience, and then seeing the the finite nature of our being just just cries out, there is a creator and a sustainer of all things. And so I just think looking at creation, just experiencing things that you just can't really fathom being made or can control, you, you have to ask the question, how is it so? And so that's how I look at creation and I, I, I really ponder. And after, you have to step back and you have to really gaze into what is around you and at that moment feeling very very small and i felt that many a times i'm an ocean guy i love getting in the ocean and i don't know if anything makes you feel more helpless than being in the ocean and uh being on mount rainier that happened we had a little fun time up there (laughs) last year we almost got lost on mount rainier and i didn't even know which direction we were going (laughs) and it just shows you the glory and and just the magnificence of these created things there has to be a a creator and sustainer of it all amen kyle yeah i'll just piggyback on that i think when you look at these things in creation the immense on the one hand the immenseness of it but then on the other the beauty of it it begs the question who and where and why and how did this come into being and i think that's what i've been thankful for in the course of my life uh, having parents that raised me in the outdoors um, loving getting into the nature and whether it's backpacking or rock climbing or whatever it is getting away and asking those questions and i'll be honest i mean for a long time as a high school middle school kid i asked those questions without a whole lot of answers but the question was there present constantly Um, I was raised in the church, um, raised to trust Jesus, but as a high school, middle school kid started wondering, this is really big. Is he that big? This is really beautiful. Is he that beautiful? And there's a passage I was reminded of when he asked that question in uh, Psalm 19.1 that says this, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Uh, and that text really reminded me, holy cow, there, there is a God. I've asked the question and it's from him. Uh, so with that, I love being outside. I love getting out. That's a place that I oftentimes feel nearest to the Lord, um, just being able to see what he's done and what he's made. And uh, yeah, I had a friend who told me once that I like being outside because that's the places that the, the sin has reached the least. When we get up into the mountains, you see God's work removed from a lot of the busyness and chaos of life. Uh, so I think with that being said, it's been a question for me that then's been answered by yeah, just seeing that yeah. God made it. Amen. You know, Rob, you said you're an ocean guy. I think I'm a stars guy. You know, the fact that while we've been sitting here talking, we have been traveling hundreds of thousands of miles through time and space as the earth revolves and spins and we're hurling through this mystery. Yeah, crazy. Okay, so a handful of folks from Gospel Life, as well as some influential community members, have sent in some questions for you. Here is the first. This is Noah from Graham, longtime listener, first time caller. 
what I'm really curious from you guys is did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? And more importantly, what is the implication in our daily lives today, whether they did or they did not? <laughs> That's that is a classic question. That's Noah. From a classic guy. <laughs> Keep it classy, Noah. <laughs> All right, let me uh, give you another one here. This is Mel from Puyallup. Does the biblical account of creation contradict the scientific evidence for evolution? There's some complexity to that one. Does the biblical account of creation contradict the scientific evidence of evolution? Did I hear it right? Mm-hmm, you did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that That's a question that uh, I've asked a lot um, as we think about yeah, the, the Bible says that God is the one that created everything. We believe that God's word is true. Uh, in Genesis 1, it says, out of nothing, he made everything. Uh, and then when we think about the the difference between um, whether it's days, uh, literal days or figurative days, um, being unsure of uh, how long did he take to make it? Um, is it uh, days the way that we can account it as 24 hours in a day? What is that? There's a lot of questions there. Um, that I'm really excited to meet Jesus and to have those fully and finally answered. Uh, I think in the midst of that, though, um, any scientific evidence, we see that science serves to worship and to submit to the Lord as opposed to the other way around. They do not contradict one another. Um, so I think with that, I can't get past the conviction that it is God that made everything. There is on constantly developing science that um, we're going to have to think through and consider, but it doesn't get away from the fact that it's him who made it. Um, so again, I think that there's a lot to work out there, and I'd love to hear Rob's thoughts on that because I feel like I'm jumbling through that, to be honest with you. <laughs> Man, you know, that's uh, <clears throat> that's a remarkable question. A question that, even in my lifetime, you know, being 45 years old, I've seen science, as as science has grown and evolved, better come back to serve what we find in Scripture. That's good, yeah. And, and I, think, I think we have to hold a lot of that loosely. I think first thing we need to understand is that the, uh, the Bible okay, is not intended to tell us everything. It is, a, it is a narrative really about God, who God is, and how we are his creation in his grand biblical redemptive narrative of people that have fallen from that original relationship with him. And so I think oftentimes if we look at the Bible looking for answers to all things that we see all around us, we're going to get big questions. And and the Bible's not speaking directly to everything, but it's speaking to the most important things, mm, the things good. that makes everything else make sense. And so I think I think oftentimes I think I, I think we can get hung up on little you know these literal days or days of creation and say all these things and and really kind of say well evolution can't uh, make sense in in an understanding of you know the grand biblical narrative and and I just I just say you know what are we asking the right questions are we talking about the right things I mean what is Scripture intended to do it's t- it's intended to show us who God is who we are, and how we have relationship with him. And then what he's doing as a result of that. 
And so evolution, um, I guess we have to define that. What exactly are we saying about evolution? That's are we? Good. Are we? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I look at Adam and Eve, and, and you know, currently studying Genesis, and we see the first family. They don't seem like Neanderthals to me, who are growing into something. They seem very intelligent. They seem like they have a, an understanding of what's going on. They have relationship with God. They are receiving from God. They are learning to walk with Him. They are understanding their sin. It's a whole redemptive account. That we see right in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then the grand biblical narrative as it unfolds, leading all the way to the person and work of Jesus. That is promised in Genesis chapter 3. And then the culmination of scripture we see in Revelation. We see this grand biblical narrative. And so how does evolution fit in that? Well, I might be rambling because I'm fired up because we can know a lot about God and ourselves. And then we can have make sense of the... The, the worlds in which we live, but I don't know if um, trying to, to, to understand how God does every little thing is really worth our time. I think as we do that, though, holding on to the major questions, right, how do we get right with God? How do we spend eternity with him? How do we find meaning and purpose and value and worth? And where are we getting that? And how can we receive that from God? I think if we're asking those questions, then, then, then science will show us some of the things as the longer we live asking those questions. We'll see, wow, you know what? Science continually comes back. And even in my lifetime, I'm shown what God has said in scripture that was like in the 1980s was we were all fighting over things inside the church. We got to adhere to these certain, I'm like, you know, I don't know. We look back and we can see it all is pointing to a creator God. And we're seeing that science as we let it play itself out will ultimately, like you said, Kyle, serve God and really point to uh, what we find in scripture to be absolutely true. Scientists will, will say, like, you break it down for this universe or reality to exist. It's, it requires five things, time, space, matter, force, and motion. And in the beginning of Genesis, you have in the beginning, time, God created the heavens and the earth, space and matter, and the spirit moved. You have motion, force and motion. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Powerful. Yeah, it's good. Wow. Heavy. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. Hmm. All right. Uh, here comes another one. I like these. <laughs> Hey, fellas, Josh here. When God created the heavens and the earth in six days and then on the seventh day rested, knowing full well that God didn't read rest, why exactly did he create the seventh day for rest? Wow, the seventh day for rest. You see, okay, this is, this is beautiful because does God need rest? No. God does not need rest in any way, shape, or form, right? God is actually showing us something that we need and because he's such a good relational God, he's actually doing something and then in his word to us, showing us something that we need to do. We are dependent creatures. God is, God is independent, does not need us, does not need anything outside of himself. We are dependent creatures. Therefore, we have to rest. I mean, I'm always blown away that we worry about things all day long. We feel like we're trying to fix everything all day long. And then we lay unconscious for eight hours a night. And we think of ourselves still as significant. 
the reality of us needing to sleep, and actually they're doing studies more and more and more and more. If we don't sleep, it leads to all these complications. If we don't go unconscious for seven to nine, they're saying that we need to get some more sleep, seven to nine hours a night. We actually, we're leading to all this stuff that, that, uh, that is just, it's destructive to our bodies and to our mind. So rest. God does not need it. We do. We think of ourselves more significant than we are. We think we are independent creatures constantly taking matters into our own hand. God is then on the seventh day resting, showing us in that what he can do in six days, whether they be literal, whether they be um, periods of time, regardless, he rested. Not because he needed rest, because he's showing us what it looks like to be human in relationship with him. And we need to pause, slow down, to, want, to first realize we are dependent and in need. We are in need of God every moment of every day. So we rest. And specifically in that seventh day, taking that rest to reorient and refocus our heart and our mind on God who he is and what he's doing and has done for us in Christ Jesus. And that day of rest is supposed to, and intentionally throughout scripture to be a day of the Lord, to focus again on him. We are so distracted people. We think more of ourselves than we should. We live our lives as if we are actually in control, forgetting that we are unconscious and the world goes around for eight hours a night. And yet... We need that time to pause and look, remind, reflect on our dependence on God and that he is good and he is gracious and he is wonderful and he is kind. That is the purpose of that day of rest commanded by God. Because if he doesn't command it, here's the reality is we will never think of him. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I think the question that Josh asked, the why, why did he do it, right? Yeah. And uh, I love what you're saying, man. I think in everything you're saying, I think it's because God loves us. Yeah. Like thinking about this theological concept called the Imago Dei, the image of God that we're created to reflect his image. And then given commands and commission to do something, God says in the Genesis account, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. All these things first started with God. He's the initiator. He's the creator. He's doing this ruling and reigning work. And then he calls us to have a relationship with him to then do those things too. How unloving would it be of God to tell us to do those things and then to not tell us to rest? So he actually, he doesn't need rest at all because he's God. He has every resource. He has always been, always is, always will be. But in mindfulness of us, knowing that we're not unlimited like he is, we're limited. Knowing that we're not able to be dependent, we have to be dependent on him. We're not independent. He knows you're finite. You are limited. You're needy and in love for you. I'm going to ask you to do something because otherwise you'll kill yourselves. I'm calling you to this huge command. And the only way you'll do it is if you actually rest and remember that you need me. And I just love thinking through what God says after he makes something. He says he made it and then it was good. He made it. It was good. I see that this command to rest is an invitation to know his love and then to also enjoy him and the good thing that he's made. 
And I say that because I'm fresh off sabbatical, having three months where I feel like that I would not have taken it if I didn't, if God didn't force me to, <laughs> if the loving church of gospel life and his leadership didn't encourage me in that. But in that, I got to know God's love more and learn to depend on him more. So I think it's, it's because he loves us and he knows that we need him. Why is it so difficult for us to rest? Because we think we're God. Hmm. We think we're him. We think that we are unlimited. We think we have unlimited resource, but he knows that that's actually not what we're made to be dependent. He created us that way, not to be our own little gods, yeah. but to know him as God. Yeah, yeah. As you guys are describing that, it makes me think of the Trinity, you know, in this eternal glory, there is this loving relationship that is happening and an, and an affection and appreciation and a devotion mm-hmm. As you're talking, it makes me think, you know, not only resting to get some physical rest, but placing our rest mm. in the Trinity, in the Spirit, in the yeah. in Jesus himself, yeah. that we can enjoy God's glory yeah. and in that be filled. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's way good. Yeah, that rest is so significant. Mm. And I think we... It's the first thing to go. Yeah, it you is. know, we're, yeah. we, yeah, we so desperately, those of us in ministry, those of us serving um, uh, in any capacity, Jesus Church, that command to rest is vital for our health in that serving and in our honoring of God in that. We need that, that rest is really repositioning, resetting our heart to actually love and serve God by loving and serving his people. And and we we can't even do what God's called us to do unless we actually take time and rest and remember, remember who God is and what he's done for. That is the fuel for all that God commands us to do. And I'm preaching to myself right now because it is, I mean, it is hard to rest. I mean, we are a very busy culture. I don't think we're unlike any other culture. It just looks different because the human heart is still the same. We think we're God. We think we're in control. We think we can actually do more than we actually can do. And I think that rest is a command to remember God is in control. Yeah. And he is the source and the fuel of all of our doing. Yeah. Our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in him. That's good. Man, we can't find it anywhere apart from him. Yeah. It's good, man. Amen. So we've been talking about creation, creation of all life, God, the creator, we, the creature. I want to transition a little bit to the beginning, not of life, but the beginning of new life, the beginning of faith in Christ. And uh, let me play a little something for you here, and then uh, i got a question for you. Hi, this is Kathy. I just want to say how my life has changed incredibly since I came to Gospel Life in 2015. You have both been very actively involved in my life, encouraging me and praying for me, directing me, and I'm so thankful for that. I love you both. I will talk to you soon. Oh, Kathy. God is good. God is good. We have seen radical transformation in the hearts and lives of so many. It's just been this amazing journey to see God do his work. It's almost like I feel in one sense a little bit guilty that I, that you and I, that I get to see a front row seat (laughs) to Kathy's life and to many others watching that faith that God has, that 
the faith that is growing that God has put there that is working itself out and it it is it's 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 a it's a wonderful job this job this this job to love and serve people but it really is simply just a front row seat to God doing what God does and it's just it's just awesome just hearing her voice <laughs> it just tears me up yeah and you talk about the beginning of faith. God did all that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because we got to deflect any credit to Him. Yeah, yeah. Because in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God does what God does. Yep. At the beginning of a new life in Christ, that's God doing the work from beginning to end. I mean, I'm thinking of Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians five. You know, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, the old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And the next line is this. All this is from God. Hallelujah. <laughs> he, he's done it all. Yeah. So where does yeah. it begin? Yeah. yeah. He begins it. Yeah. And With that, I want to invite you both to share the beginning of faith in your lives. The diverse ways in which God brings people to faith is is beautiful and we're celebrating. If you guys are up for it, I'd invite maybe yeah. Kyle, you can go I'd love for to it. start. Yeah, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Um, <laughs> I remember in middle school and high school when someone asked would, me to share my testimony, I'd feel really bad because I, I wasn't able to say, man, I used to be a drug addict and now God rescued me and saved me. Um, there are those stories that just put God's glory on display in a beautiful way. And I remember growing up wishing I had a different story, uh, but my story started with God saving my parents. Um, and parents that were rescued by his grace, um, that had a lot stacked against them, but, but God, because of his great love for them, pursued them and saved them and brought them together. And they chose, we're going to raise kids differently. We're going to raise them where they know the Lord and they love the Lord. I grew up, I remember as a little boy loving to talk to God at night. Mm. And that just puts God's glory on display in a really beautiful way that I wish middle school Kyle got. (laughs) I wish high school Kyle would have seen it then, but 33-year-old Kyle starting to see that. Um, That the Lord in his love for me was pursuing me before I was even born. And I had parents that prayed with us, that told us who God was, that told us the stories at a very, very young age. Um, as a young elementary school kid, that made a lot of sense to me. I feel like I had childlike faith. Um, I loved being at church, loved the things of the Lord. But then I remember getting in middle school and becoming aware of myself. Um, as a little kid, you're not really aware of yourself. You're just having the best time of your life and you're aware of the things that are on your radar. And by God's grace, it was the Lord. Cause I was raised in that type of family. But as a middle schooler, when I started to get good at sports and really started to like the approval of man and what other people thought about me and how pretty the girls were in junior high, my attention got directed elsewhere. And for about three years from seventh grade to ninth grade, I was living for self Kyle's way, Kyle's kingdom, Kyle's agenda, because I really liked how the things I was doing was making me feel. So God was an attachment to those things as opposed to my life. I had my life and God existed to serve me. In my ninth grade year, I was playing football and it was the last practice of our football season. And I was running an end around and I planted and this eighth grader, I always remember this eighth grader, he, uh, his feet left the ground. He tackled me, he speared me and it buckled my knee and I blew out my knee, blew out um, both my meniscus. They call it the terrible triad, my ACL, LCL and MCL. They were all gone. And uh, I remember going to the ER that night and the doctor telling me that you cannot play football anymore. You're going to play chess now. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment, I was just broken. Um, That led me for the first time in my life to see that I needed God. As a young kid, I loved him, but I didn't really know I had a need for a savior. 
Uh, and it was actually that winter I went on a high school retreat. Um, there was this youth pastor that took me aside and said, hey, Kyle, what's it mean to be a Christian? And I told him, well, being a Christian means that you go to church, means that you pray all the time, means that you don't smoke pot, means that you don't sleep with your girlfriend, you don't do all these things. I told him that answer and he looked at me and he just said, no, you're wrong. And he told me being a Christian know, is, means knowing that you need a savior, um, that you've sinned, you need a savior and you need rescue. And I remember hearing that, and I'm sure I heard it before, but I remember hearing it for the first time. Uh, as a ninth grader down in Canada Beach, Oregon, rem- mm. hearing that I needed saving and having that actually mean something, um, I believe that that's where I really started getting to know Jesus. Although God was doing work in me beforehand, that's where I really knew Jesus. Uh, I'm really thankful for that. So since then, obviously, it's been a roller coaster of learning to trust and follow him. But those two two things are pretty significant for me, being raised in a Christian home and then coming to need my, see my need for a Savior, kind of late junior high. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. As yeah. a parent, I love that testimony <clears throat> and, and desire that for our kids. <clears throat> you know, uh, every coming to faith is a beautiful story and yeah. testament to Jesus. Yeah. Um, I also, yeah, I so... Our five-year-old starting to say things, you know, that, mm. that suggest she does know and Come does on. believe, and so I I pray for that yeah. story for them. Yeah, boring testimonies for the glory of God. They <laughs> yeah. actually aren't boring yeah. at all. They actually yeah. put Amen. them on display. Yeah. In Amen. It is glorious way. and sweet. That grace is sweet in my life, and I'm I'm learning that the Lord gave me that grace because now I I can be and demonstrate safety and family and love for those that didn't have that story. Yeah. Because not everyone has that story. Actually, it's really rare. Mm. But God's made this deposit of grace in my life that now I get the joy of sharing it with others. Yeah. Mm. So, Well, and the, to hear about what, what happened in your parents' life, how beautiful. You think of God yeah. plucking people out of human history and saying, you're mine now, you're my people. Yep. Then grafting in more people, saving more people. Yep. And the legacy or the generations that, now that have been affected yeah. by your folks being saved. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah. amen is right. Yeah, it's remarkable listening to Kyle, you know, and I've heard his journey of faith in Jesus, and I've heard his story of redemption, and um, mine is similar in a sense. Um, You know, at Gospel Life, we believe that, um, and it's interesting to say this, we come to a realization of our salvation at some point. That Ephesians 1 that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I just think of your story as it's similar to mine. You know, my parents didn't grow up in a Christian home. You know, my dad grew up Catholic. He really had a religious understanding of relating to God. My mom grew up in a home that just was a, they would just would have checked none. (laughs) Christmas and Easter, maybe, you know, going to church, but just none. We don't have any religious affiliation. Um, And nobody in my family outside of my parents follows Jesus. I mean, I would say there is God has been doing work, but um, God just decided for some reason has nothing to do with us. And I think of this quite a bit um, in regards to my own place in life and my own faith is that, wow, God was just, why? Why was he so good? You know, he he decided to... Um, to have my parents move into this uh, community 
Uh, I was born uh, in this uh, kind of new neighborhood, and there were some people that lived up the street. And uh, this gal, never forget her. She's like my second mom, Maureen Sims. She lived up there, and she was trusting and following Jesus. And she was raising her family. There's four boys in that family, and she was raising them to trust and follow Jesus. Well, my parents lived down the street. Neither of them are believers. Neither of them are interested in God. And then I come along, and my mom does not know what to do with a crazy two-year-old daughter. <laughs> she just has no idea what to do. You know, my mom was, you know, formerly Miss Federal Way, put together on the outside, knew how to pretend, knew how to perform. My dad's successful in business. My parents met kind of working together. Uh, it's interesting because my, mom, my, uh, my, my dad was a chauvinist, according to my mom. My mom was a feminist. And, and my, my mom really disliked my dad. And my dad saw her cry, and they fell in love together one day. <laughs> and they were both previously divorced. They had both been trying to find life horizontally not even know to look vertically for life from God. And God moved us into that neighborhood, gave my parents me, that drove my mom, who's a stay-at-home mom at the time, just to the, her end. And the neighbor lady walked down and says, got to know my mom and just says, honey, you need Jesus, and shared Christ with my mom. My parents oh. then went to church and were saved. So I grew up very similar to Kyle. In a sense, I grew up in a home where my parents were learning to trust and follow Jesus, and I saw this authentic faith worked out. Now, faith is really begins with understanding, proceeds with conviction, and then, and then, and then that conviction turns into this commitment to align our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so, so when you think of, okay, well, when was I saved? Well, I would tell you I was saved before the foundation of the world. Yeah, amen. And I realized it at some point, you know, I would say maybe I was like four or five years old driving home from church one Sunday. I just said, I heard this, this, uh, you know, this, this unpacking of the gospel in the kids ministry. And I said, mom, I want to receive Jesus. She pulled over on 1975 Volkswagen bus and we prayed right in the back. I was baptized at 13. But I'll tell you right now, I think I was realizing that I was gaining understanding. I was moving forward with conviction of my own sin and my need for a Savior. And I was learning in this process of faith, because we're saved by grace, a free gift of God, in the finished work of Jesus. All those things, right? I mean, I'm gaining understanding as God reveals His grace to me, oftentimes through my sin, through my suffering, through my struggle, and I see my need for a Savior, and then I, I'm learning to commit my life and align my life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was so generous and so kind. Whoa, He protected me from so much, and it just makes me further love Him, desire to trust Him and follow Him. And I, I realize as I get older, I realize I don't need God less. I need him more. 
Amen. Because I got more in the rear view. I'm like, wow, I get to, I gained some wisdom. Like, man, I could have really train wrecked my life there. Wow, God protected me there while God's moving. And it's just, and then I see, you know, as we kind of talked about earlier, I see how God was at work the whole time, gives me more faith to trust him. I further want to align my life with him. I mean, I just, I just, yeah, that, a testimony, I don't even know. I could go on and on because that right there is remarkable how we grow in that that faith that we're saved you know we're saved by grace through faith but we grow in that same way too before the foundation of the world how how remarkable at the same time it seems to me and correct me if this is wrong that we see um ezekiel i'm going to place in you a new heart a heart of flesh or i'm going to create a new person you're going to be new while it was predestined, there's also this moment yeah. where this new heart has been given to us. Now, yeah. how do we posture ourselves? Do we respond in faith, repentance, confession? Well, yeah, in light of that, it's like what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 to 18, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In that, there's a moment of salvation. Yeah. Like you were saying within the Corinthians passage, behold, the new has come, the old has passed away, the new's here. You're new. As I listen to Kathy, she's new. There is a new life there, and that's amazing. And yet, Paul says later in that same passage, the righteous live by faith. Mm-hmm. It's almost like every time I get in a fight with my wife and I get down low and I'm discouraged and God meets us in his grace, I feel like I get saved again. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the Amen. time. Amen. I'm like, am I saved now? No, I, I have been. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he's working it out in me. Yeah. Yeah. He's working it out. And I'm so thankful for well, that. Well, well you, know, you, you know what I'm hearing right now? I'm hearing as I read Ephesians 1, I'm hearing, well, how do we know who's saved? And, and it, what is the point of if God's had this thing aligned before the foundation of the world? And, I, and, and, and what I want to say to that, if that's a question, is <clears throat> that's why we preach the gospel. You see, the gospel had to go forth for my parents to respond. We don't know when God gives people this new heart, this regenerated heart to where they can even hear the gospel. Like Kyle, you said in your testimony, like maybe I'd heard that before, but at least at that time you were able to respond. Well, you had to respond to something. That's why we're commanded to go proclaim the gospel right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go. We have to go. We've got to proclaim. How are they going to respond if nobody's proclaiming? So this is this beautiful thing where God, (laughs) where where, where God, God is big. God is doing. God is remarkable. God is saving. God saves sinners without a scrap of human effort. I mean, to to quote J.I. Packer, that's what God does. Now, like creation in, 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 in our work, God allows us to participate in his work. So I am getting fired up right now because preaching the gospel is so vitally important. We don't sit on our hands and, and do nothing. No, we want to have others hear the gospel so they can respond in the Lord's timing. For both salvation and sanctification. And sanctification. It's the same message for both. This is why you got to preach the gospel and help connect the transformational power of the gospel to everyday life. This should be all of our lives. No matter what you do, no matter matter what your occupation that God's given you, that occupation is given for relationships to preach the gospel and help connect the transformational power of the gospel to everyday life. This isn't something you do on Sunday and Wednesday. This is something we do all the time so that people hear the gospel and respond 
in God's beautiful and perfect timing. And what do we get? This is what we, when we hear Kathy, this is what we think of. Thank you, Lord, for letting me participate in that. God, I did very little. You were doing share the, work, the gospel. But I got to share the gospel. And I've seen her life radically transformed by God's grace. And I just, just think back to just watching her journey. It's, it's amazing. And I just got to be a, a little part of it, you know? Looking at the question of uh, beginnings and beginning to walk together in fellowship as a body of believers within a church. Let me uh, throw a couple questions your way. Yeah, and we we'll uh, kind it. of transition into a, a different topic here. Hey, Rob and Kyle, this is Joe Walling. I have a few questions that I have for you guys that I'd love to hear your answers to. Uh, the first one is, what is some of the most meaningful ways that members can encourage you and bless you? What is an unknown fact about the most challenging aspect of your job? And what are some of the misconceptions that you believe people have about being a pastor? Love you guys, appreciate you, and I'm so thankful for you. This comes from a guy who loves you, yeah, part love of Joe. the church. Man, I love Joe. Cares yeah. for you, wants as a as a member um, to support you and pray for you. So I hear him asking you, how can we pray for you? How can we bless you? Yeah, I'll start with the uh, how, how can the church bless us and care for us, specifically for me. Uh, I, I hear that question. I just think about my gospel community. Uh, my gospel community tells me all the time, you're not Pastor Kyle here, you're Kyle. Um, we don't need you. We don't need anything from you. We need Jesus. And we love you and we're thankful for you. Um, you're always asking, they tell me, you're always asking people how they're doing. We're here to ask you how you're doing. Uh, and that has been the greatest gift for my soul at Gospel Life, where I don't have to constantly be in care for others mode because we care for others. We stay awake at night thinking about caring for others. But when somebody comes into our story and says, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing, really? Not how are you doing, just give me the pastor answer, but how's Kyle? How's Kyle as a husband? How's Kyle as a father? How's Kyle's relationship with the Lord? That happens all the time in our gospel community. I'm so thankful for that. And then I think about a few others at Gospel Life. I think of Pat Burke, who always asked me that question. Kyle, how you doing? I'm thinking about you. Ryan Clark, who always asked me that question. How you doing, man? Stop asking about me. How are you doing? Um, that's one of the greatest ways that our church can love me personally, is creating space for me to be able to say, you know, I'm not okay today. Or, man, I'm tired today. I need Jesus. Uh, and that's been a gift for my soul. So that would be my answer to that first question. Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think because our God is a relational God, therefore we are relational beings. The way I'm encouraged most is by seeing and hearing from our people. I just am, I just think that is, you know, our presence is powerful. And I think it's the gift that we have to give to others, our presence. Um, you know, um, you know, living just kind of in the current state of things, you know, where we can't be around one another as we might have, you know, originally or been able to see the people that we've seen, you know, obviously with church things, you know, not everybody can gather I think so often we think, you know, I really don't need to go to church this morning. You know, I'm going to do this other thing. Or, you know, I really don't need to go to community right now. I think what we're, what we're missing out on is our presence for the sake of others. And what I mean by that is what's the thing that people can give is, is be present, participate. I love, I'm, I'm an extrovert. What? And I love <laughs> seeing people's faces. 
You know, I just love seeing people. I knew prior to the pandemic that I could just in the preaching calendar preach three weeks in a row and I'd see everybody in the church. I'd see their face because they're just seeing their faces, just seeing them worshiping Jesus. And I know when the gospel is going forth, whoever's preaching, if the word of God's open, it never returns void and people are being transformed. So I just knew that, man, that, that's the best thing anybody can give me is like, join God, listen, hear the gospel, participate in community, uh, realize that your presence matters and, and, and like say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go places not just because of what I can receive, but also what I can give just in my presence. So I don't think that's unique to just me. Um, I just know I'm blessed when, um, when people reach out, when people are present, when people, you know, share their story, you know, I just think those are, those are huge things. And I think that's because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Is that even making sense? Totally it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not only for how all of us are wired, right? Because we're made in God's image to be relational. He's relational. We're made for relationship, but for you specifically. And I've seen that time and time again, man, your soul be just so encouraged by hanging out with a guy, by hanging out with a family, by hearing what God's doing. And I love that about you, that that's like food for you. So encouraging because it gets your eyes off yourself, your circumstances, and you see what God's doing. Yeah. And that's the greatest encouragement for you. So I'll say to Gospel Life right now, be present with Rob. Be in relationship with him. Get to know him. Spend time with him. Tell him what God's doing in your life. That's the greatest gift for Rob. And it's fun to see you light up in that. Yeah. So. I'm, I mean, since we've been been able to regather and I've been able to see more people, I've just been widely just encouraged. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my faith has been uplifted. Uh, I've get to, I get to hear more stories, yeah. you know, of what God is doing. I mean, Joe just texted me, you know, a few days ago and he just wrote me this text about all that God is doing in his life yeah. and how God is moving in some circumstances that have happened. I was, wow. Yeah. I was like, I'm encouraged. Yeah. So, you know, it's those type of things. And I just think of my own community. Kyle mentioned his community. I, I am so blessed by my community and it's when they engage and participate in community, when they, they, and I don't lead our community. I just am, am a participant and I'm somebody who just gets to be involved. And I'm telling you, when, when people show up and when we gather, I am blessed just because they're there. I don't think it's a stretch to guess that a lot of folks aren't sure what to do with a pastor. For sure. <laughs> you know, am I going to be a burden or yeah, am I going to, you know, true. he's already so busy. He doesn't want to hear from me, but to know that actually you yeah. love it, welcome it. Yeah. You know, I think that's encouraging. And so letting, uh, letting you do what you do and care for people and hear from people and walk yeah. with others. Mm. Yeah. So, so really, I guess the answer is show up to church and just say, hi, <laughs> Hey, how you doing up there? You know, good to see you. I'm just, wow. Just wildly encouraged by that. Yeah. That's good. Nice. That's good. One of Joe's other questions was, you know, what are some of the assumptions maybe that people make about pastors or what, what should we know about your role and about what you're doing that would actually help us love you better, you know? And I think about that and uh, yeah, go for it. Well, I I just think, uh, I think it's important to understand is that we are struggling believers just like everyone else. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think... uh, it's probably been like this for, for a while, but specifically in, in our culture, uh, there's just this celebrity pastor persona. 
And, and I just, I just don't see that anywhere in scripture. Uh, I just don't see, I see Paul saying some things, follow me as I follow Christ. I see that, um, you know, we're going to be judged with greater strictness because we have influence. Um, but I think one of the things that I think everyone needs to really grasp and understand is that any, any pastor that you've seen fail is because they're sinners saved by grace. And they're working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And there's struggle and there's doubt. One of the greatest things about Gospel Life Church, too, is that we, like Kyle said, we're, we're received into community. And I really think that's the understanding. I just really think, like Rob and Kyle, you know, these staff pastors and any pastor, these are normal people. Now, we need to understand our role. And we need to take that very seriously. Um, but I think just the understanding of, you know, Hey, Rob's, you know, Rob's not going to say everything right all the time. You know, if you hear something off in a sermon say, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that was Rob and not Jesus. And let me, I'll talk to him about that. You know, even you, Jay, you and I've had some good dialogue and conversation. I mean, fired up for you being an elder candidate, um, at this point and just, you know, uh, but, but you specifically have seen like, Hey, you know, uh, let's talk about this. Let's have a dialogue. And I think approaching, you know, individuals that are in this role and just saying, hey, you know, they're real people. They're struggling. Hey, I'm seeing this. I think that's why it's so important inside the church to have membership. You know, people that are committed one to another. You know, it's this covenant one to another. If I if I hear something, I, I it's a little off, or I hear, I see something that I'm not sure really aligns with with Scripture and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's talk through that thing, as opposed to just like go to another church. You know, it's like or or man, you know, it's it's working it out because there's a mutual. Uh, there's a mutual benefit of membership, both for the leadership and the members, right? Kind of breaking down this persona of, well, they're, they're supposed to have everything together all the time. No, we, we need to be the lead repenters. We need to be uh, constantly seeing our sin, turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus. That should be the lead thing that we do that we've really, we've really wanted to strive towards. But I think just understanding that and then really um, understanding the member's role to, to really have that relationship. And, and we want to be very relatable people. We, we, we do not want to be celebrity pastors on stage only. We actually want to live amongst the community. We see that that's the best thing for us and our hearts. And so we've just been constantly fighting that. And so I think just entering into these real relationships is probably the best Yep. Uh, probably the things that maybe most people don't understand or don't know is, is, is that we are fighting it out and duking it out and battling our sin and trying to put it to death by the grace of God, like everyone else. And so extending grace, now we understand our role, but, but, but I think by extending grace, by being in that relationship as the Lord allows, you can't be close with everybody, but my community has been a huge blessing. I know yours has as well. Yeah. And that, it makes me really sad for those, those people in ministry, those pastors that don't have that community. Cause that's terrifying to be isolated. It's terrifying to feel like you have to be something for everybody else. Cause in that you start to believe the lie. I need to be their Jesus. The Jesus is their Jesus. Let him do it. And it makes me really sad for those that are isolated and lonely. And with that makes me so thankful for our church because they haven't led us. Yeah. 
even in our own flesh and our own pride, there's a temptation to feel like we're the only one carrying the weight. But actually, gospel life has loved us well by pursuing us. It's Todd Rickaboff five years ago that sat me down and said, hey, Kyle, the way you handled that circumstance or that situation was unbiblical. Let me show you in scripture how you should have done it. And let's see how good Jesus is. And I just gave him a big hug and wanted to kiss him because he helped me grow. Praise God for men and women like that. I think scripture talks about the body, all these different parts. It talks Mm -hmm. about sharpening one another. With Jesus the head. Amen. Jesus the head. Amen. And it might have been tempting to say, oh, he got it wrong. I'm out of here. Or he got it wrong. That was hurtful. I'm not going to be hurt by someone like that. I'm out of here. To instead, you know, actually approach you, hopefully in respectfulness and kindness for the sake of unity. Amen. Yeah. 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 For the benefit of the other. You know, you know, in all reality, we're all pointers to Jesus. And I think... That's all we're doing. We're, we're pointing others to Jesus. Now, we may have a role where we're kind of the lead pointers to Jesus, you know, within the context of the local church. We're kind of leading that. We're, we're showing that. But, but that's just the reality is that we're pointers to Jesus. Jesus should be getting all the glory. We should be deflecting all of that to him and, and being, you know, being real careful. We're not taking any of that for ourselves. Yeah, that's very good. And with that in mind, kind of transitioning from the pastor's role to you know the believer's role, I've got an, another question here for you. Hello, Pastor Rob and Pastor Kyle. This is Ryan from Sumner, and I would like to know, how would you encourage members of our church body who are struggling with motivation to be consistently in God's Word? Mm. <laughs> I love that question. I love Ryan. I just think about his giant beard as he says that. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know how he talks with that giant beard. <laughs> It does the talking for you. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So struggling with the desire to consistently be in God's word. This is an interesting question. I think a question that lots and lots and lots of people um, struggle with. I think number one, and this is really what, because I'm a church guy, right? I grew up in church, right? So I understand this. And until I understood that all of scripture points to Jesus. And when you read God's word, you're on a treasure hunt looking for him. And when you find him, you find satisfaction for your soul. You know, he is the good news of God. He, the gospel of Jesus Christ is is, is, is all of scripture from beginning to end, Genesis through Revelation, is pointing to or looking back to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, as, as God's word pointing to Jesus, it opens up God's word to where now you're not starting your, uh, you know, your year-long Bible reading plan once again, and you, you start in Genesis, and you're working through it, and you're getting some of these cool stories, and you know, you got some guys, you know, getting punched in the face and some guys getting their hips dislocated and all these weird things happen. And then and then you get to Leviticus. Wah, wah. <laughs> and you're just like, I guess I'll try again next year. And then you kind of equate all of scripture kind of in that dry reading as you would read any book. I'm not until I discovered Jesus being on every page, in every story, everything pointing to him, then until then, it was like, it was, it was, I just couldn't find myself 
time to read. You know, I mean, I do not like reading anything but God's word and things that are pointing to God's word because those things excite me. So I would say if somebody's struggling, it's because maybe they're not reading their Bible rightly. They're not seeing or looking for Jesus. God. Yes. Yeah. That's what I would double down on. I, I would say that most of us don't know how to read our Bibles because we haven't been taught. So for someone to say, I don't have any motivation to read God's word, I would say, hey, I'm so thankful that you're sharing that and admitting that. Guess what? That's most of us. <laughs> yeah. And for you to be able to say, I don't know how, and now to ask for help with that. We have this misconception that we need to be locked in a closet, reading the Bible by ourselves, always by ourselves, in our own meditation, our own devotion. Actually, what would it look like to read God's word together? To be taught how to look for Jesus, because most people don't know, how, don't know how to do that. To be taught how to see, actually, how do I bring out a big idea? idea from this text. There is biblical illiteracy that is crushing the church, not just because we don't know what God's word says, but because we feel like fools for not knowing. So if we don't know how to read God's word, we'll just shut down and think, oh, I should know. I'm just going to hide and pretend. No, what if we admitted that? And what if we started learning together? I've learned to see Jesus. I've learned to see that God's word is alive and active. I've learned to see that it's God breathed because somebody sat down with me and we read it together. My prayer is that gospel life would be a people that would see that Jesus is in every page, that they would see that God's word is actually his voice to us. As we cry out to the heavens, God, where are you? He has spoken to us through his word. And my prayer is that we would be a people that are rooted in his word, seeing Jesus through his word, discovering how to read his word, uh, and then actually make his word known in the world around us. That's my prayer. In the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He has given us His Word that we can see Him on every page. Heavenly Father, we thank You that the heavens declare Your glory. That, Lord, as we look out, we see just a picture, just pieces of the magnitude. God, would we be enamored enamored by the magnificence of your glory and then Lord would we have an understanding that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus that Jesus you left heaven and you came to earth and that you lived the life we could not live you died the death that we deserve and then you rose conquering sin and death and we thank you for that Jesus Holy Spirit we thank you that you are moving and God, we pray for Gospel Life Church. We pray for our community to know you, to love you, to trust you, and to follow you. And we thank you that our Creator God can be known through the person and work of Jesus. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. If you were inspired or challenged by this episode, or if you'd like to send in an audio recording of your questions for the pastors, email podcast at glpuallop.com. Thank you for listening. Now let's finish things out with Gospel Life's John Snyder singing, Build My Life. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for.
for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you And holy There is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around Holy, there is 
no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder Show me who you are and fill me With your heart and lead me With your love to those around me Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes and wonder Show me who you are and fill me With your heart and lead me In your love to those around me And holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes and wonder Show me who you are and fill me With your heart and lead me In your love to the sun